Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Before we get into the sermon this morning, I want to show you all a picture of where a good portion of this sermon was written. Uh, I spent most of last week up at Pine Haven. Well, I say most of. I spent all of last week up at Pine Haven uh, with uh, a bunch of ninth and 10th graders, some of our own kids, uh, a bunch of other people from Marion uh, who were serving on faculty and on staff. And I took this picture that you're seeing up on the screen right now uh, off the new deck that's been built up at camp off of the lodge. And Ben will share a lot more about the last week of camp that we had during announcement time here uh, towards the end of the service. But I, sh- I want to show you all this picture because this is a new, the new deck that's just been built this year. And I took this picture while sitting at a table uh, that was purchased with money that this church raised during vacation Bible school. Uh, we set a goal at the beginning of the, our week of VBS to raise $1,200 that week to go towards the camp so that they could buy furniture to put on this new deck. And by the end of the week, we raised as a church somewhere around, I think, over $5,000 to go towards um, purchasing furniture for this new deck. Yes. And that also meant that me and Isaac and Rodney Allen and and Lonnie Williams all had to end up in the dunk tank and I think we've all gotten over that and dealt with that trauma um, eventually. But I share all of that to say that I, first of all, am grateful for all of you. I'm astounded at the generosity of this congregation and your investment in kids, your investment in Pine Haven, uh, to make sure that, um, that projects like this can be accomplished up at camp. And I want you all to know that that's bearing fruit. Uh, that's not just some vague project way off that we're done with and we've moved on from. I saw kids from this church sitting in furniture purchased by this church this week in classes listening to uh, teachers teaching them about God and about His Word. And so you're not just buying furniture for no purpose. It, it is, has already borne fruit and will continue to bear fruit the rest of this summer and beyond. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your investment in our kids. Thank you for your investment in Pine Haven. And I, and I guess that's all a disclaimer up front. If you don't like this sermon, I guess I'm not allowed to go to Pine Haven and write sermons up there anymore. But uh, I wanted you all to, to be able to see that. Uh, we're getting towards the end of this series that we have called Actors. Uh, we've been looking at stories of people being transformed by the message of the gospel and the presence of the Holy Spirit that are recorded for us in the book of Acts. Uh, Through all of these individual stories, what we've seen across the story of this book is a story of transition. Uh, The book of Acts covers a period of history where things are are shifting a little bit for what it means to be a part of God's people. When we read across the entire narrative of Scripture, when we begin in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abraham, going forward from there, to be a part of the people of God meant to be an Israelite. Now, the offer to be an Israelite was open to all people. That's not just an ethnic designation. But there was a clear boundary marker around who was in and who was out. If you wanted to be a part of God's people, you needed to follow the law. You needed to abstain from eating certain foods. You needed to observe certain days of worship. And for the males, it meant that you needed to be circumcised. 
But what we've seen over the course of this series, especially over the last few weeks, that after the resurrection of Jesus and the establishment of his church, those lines demarcating who is in and who is out, they, they start to get a little more fuzzy. We looked at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch hears the message of Jesus. Based out of the Old Testament, he hears that message and he comes to faith in Jesus. He is baptized. He's not an Israelite. He's not even able to be circumcised. And yet Philip does not tell him that he has to keep the Old Testament law. He does not tell him that he needs to make sure he comes to Jerusalem for Passover every year. He baptizes him into Jesus and he sends him on his way. Rick showed us the story of Cornelius and his household a few weeks ago as Peter brings them the message about Jesus. Uh, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they are baptized. And these are, this is a household full of people who are not ethnically Jewish. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. And yet they're being welcomed in to be a part of God's people because of their identification with Jesus. There's a shift going on. And that shift, the more it happens, begins to cause more and more issues. And shifts are always, at best, a little awkward. When we're caught in a routine, when we're used to one specific way of doing things, experiencing any kind of change to that process can make us uncomfortable. Now, for the sake of complete transparency, I already mentioned I was working on this sermon up at camp this past week, and and as I was working on this part of it, uh, I was working in our cabin, and a couple boys from this church came into the cabin, and I won't say who it was because Joey Carroll and Ethan Jarmus are too humble to want to take credit for anything in my sermon. But, but they came in, and I was, I was thinking through this, and I said, boys, tell me about a time when uh, your, your normal routine got interrupted and how that felt. And one of them, I'll do my best impression of a 14 or 15-year-old boy, said, uh, I mean, COVID. And I thought... And I thought, oh yeah, we've kind of all had our routines interrupted in the last year. Uh, so many things have looked different for all of us. Kids have had the, their routine of school upended by having to move online and then having to move into blended and then back into online and then back into some in-person kind of thing or somewhere in between. So many of us have had to figure out how to do our jobs in a way that was completely different from how we've ever done them before. We've had so many family and holidays, family celebrations and holidays canceled or moved to Zoom or FaceTime or watching over Facebook Live. And in my experience and interactions over the last year, we've all made the, made the most of it, made the best we could of it, but we haven't always met it with complete excitement and joy. Going through changes, transitions, shifts, they, they create tension. We tend to be creatures of habit, and we don't like when those habits get interrupted. And the closer we move to the center of our identity as a person, the more drastic and threatening those shifts, those transitions can feel. I mean, it's one thing to go through a shift in a minor thing. It's one thing to have, you know, the route you take to get to work in the morning change. But when the shifts happening are at the center of who we are, when they're at the foundation of our existence, any kind of movement at all can feel like a real threat, like the foundation, the ground beneath us is crumbling. Some of you have been a part of this congregation for a long time, if not for your entire life. And while this congregation has been around for a very long time, there has been a lot that has changed about this church over the time that you've been here, I'm sure, especially even just in the last five years or so. 
And when those changes are taking place, it can feel uncomfortable. It can feel like we are losing something. And I mentioned that feeling of being uncomfortable when shifts and transitions happen, because even if it's not a perfect parallel, I think it helps us get our arms around what is going on in the early church. Whether it's stated outright or not, as we are reading through the book of Acts, we're reading through the story of the early church finding their way. The church is grappling with the question of who can be accepted. Where are the lines for who is in and who is out? What is the barrier for entry? For most of the people who were a part of the early church, people who had been raised in the Jewish faith, the barrier of entry that they had known for their entire life was that to be a part of God's people meant to be Jewish. Yes, they had come to believe in Jesus, but that was not a shift. That was, a, that was the culmination of the faith they had known for their entire life. They still consider themselves to be followers of the same faith that they have always known, and that looks different because Jesus has come and died and resurrected, but at the end of the day, things haven't changed all that much, as long as the people who are in are still the same people who would have been in to begin with. And that reality makes passages like Acts 10 that, we, that Rick showed us a few weeks ago and the passage we're going to be looking at this morning much more revolutionary than we typically think. We're far enough removed from the early church and most, if not everyone listening to my voice right now, would have been considered a Gentile, non-Jewish by the early church, so we don't really grasp the full significance of what's going on in these passages. The vision Peter has in Acts 10, where he is told that all foods are clean, would have shaken him to his core. It would have changed everything about his existence. And as more and more people who would not have been considered Jewish, people like Cornelius and his household, become a part of the church, as Paul and Barnabas and others travel farther and farther away from the city of Jerusalem, sharing the gospel with more and more people who have never heard of Jesus or the God of Israel before, those shifts are continuing to happen. And so in order to sort out how to deal with this issue once and for all, we get this story in Acts 15 that we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, where the leaders of the church come together to sort out exactly how God is leading his church to look at those who previously had not been considered a part of the group. Now, this passage might not look like some of the other passages we've looked at during this series. It's not a story of one person hearing the message of Jesus and being transformed by it necessarily, but... I think the transformation taking place in Acts 15 is just as significant as any transformation we found in this book. Because it's a group of people having their borders expanded as they come to terms with the reality of the gospel. Luke gives us the debate that takes place at this event that we normally refer to as the Jerusalem Council. And over the course of this chapter, we, we have a few different potential solutions proposed as to how to answer this question of who should be accepted within God's people and as the leadership within the church works towards a consensus. And so now we'll walk through this passage to look at the different proposals to answer this question of who can be accepted within God's people in light of the coming of Jesus. We'll start by looking at Acts 15 verses 1 to 5 up here on the screen. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. 
This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Remember, just by way of context, where we are in the story of Acts. Last week, when we were looking at the story of John Mark, we, we discussed Paul and Barnabas going out on their first missionary journey from the church in Antioch. And as they go to each of these cities across chapters 13 and 14, one of the things that begins to happen is that there are crowds of Jewish people that, that don't accept the, Jesus and try to put a stop to this ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And the root of their disagreement with the message of Jesus is that it seems like Paul and Barnabas are making the bar too low. It's a little bit like, think about a group project you were a part of in school. Uh, these opponents of Paul and Barnabas, they've done all the work. They've done all the organization. They've, they've really carried the burden of this project. They've coordinated with everyone to make sure that they know what their job is within the group project so that everything gets done on time. And now Paul and Barnabas, it seems like they are coming in and saying, eh, it doesn't matter, everyone gets an A. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like Paul and Barnabas are playing by the right rules. And so they begin to push back, saying you can't be saved, you can't be a part of God's people unless you first become Jewish, unless you first undergo circumcision and follow the Old Testament law. And so, to deal with this dispute, Paul and Barnabas are sent as the leaders of the group of believers in Antioch to discuss this issue with the leaders in the church within Jerusalem. And like I've already said this morning, that might seem like an irrelevant debate to us. We might read this and think, yeah, it's a good thing that they sorted it out a long time ago, but who cares today? And especially now in our world today where the attitude most of the time is that you can believe whatever you want as long as it makes you happy and it doesn't get in the way of my happiness. This might sound like a political squabble between two, two parties that weren't getting along and it was a long time ago, so, so what's the point? This issue mattered, especially for Paul. Paul devotes an entire letter, the letter of Galatians, to deal with this issue. And it's maybe the most riled up we ever see Paul in any of his writings. We won't look at the entire letter of Galatians this morning, but I do want to read a few verses for us out of Galatians chapter 3 to give us a little bit of a glimpse into why this issue is such a big deal for Paul. Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. From the beginning of the story of Scripture, God's goal was that all people would dwell in relationship with him and with one another. The goal of God calling Abraham in Genesis 12, the goal of God making a covenant with the descendants of Abraham at Mount Sinai was so that ultimately people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation could participate in that relationship with God through the coming of his Messiah, Jesus. And for that reason, now that Jesus has come, what it means to be a part of God's people boils down to what you do with Jesus. It's not a matter of whether or not you were born into the right family. It's not a matter of whether or not you celebrate the right holidays or keep the right rules. It's a matter of how you respond to the fact that Jesus has come, died, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, presently reigns over all things, and ultimately will come again. 
And because Jesus has come, all people are welcomed in on level ground. You know, we as human beings can be really good at dividing people up. When I was in college, I lived in the dorm Williamson Hall. I, I held for applause just in case. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny. I'm sorry. So I lived in Williamson Hall. Williamson Hall was one of three dorms on our campus. And we were pretty convinced that out of all three boys' dorms, we were the best of the three boys' dorms. But even within Williamson Hall, there's three floors to Williamson Hall. I lived on third floor. And we were pretty much convinced that out of those three floors, we were the best floor out of all three. And it's not that we had any ill will towards any of the other floors or any of the other dorms. It's just we were pretty convinced that we were the best out of the bunch. And that's absurd. And I'm fully aware of the fact that it's absurd. But we do that all the time as human beings. We put up dividers. We put up walls where the gospel does not. Yeah, that, that, that person goes to church, but they don't go to the right kind of church. Uh, yeah, sure, I, I go to church with that person, but I have seen the kind of TV shows and the movies that they watch, so I'm not really convinced they really actually love Jesus. It, yeah, sure, that, that person's a Christian, but I'm pretty convinced, based on their, their social media and the signs that were in their yard last November, that they didn't vote the same way I did, so I'm not 100% convinced that, they, that we're the same type of Christian. Now hear me, I'm not saying that truth does not matter, and everyone can do whatever they want, and it doesn't really matter what we believe as long as we all get along. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that the gospel expands our borders. The gospel ex expands our borders today, offering the message of Jesus to people who don't look like us, talk like us, think like us, live where we live, or have interest in the things that we're interested in. That's what the early church is discovering as they come together for this Jerusalem council, and it's a truth we still have to wrestle with today. This is a major shift, at least for a portion of the early church, and it might feel like a major shift for us today. And so the next section of this chapter shows us that this shift, while it's major, is still in keeping with what God has been doing throughout history. And we see the church reaching that conclusion and mapping out where God is leading his people from that truth which is a re reality we stand in line with even today. And so I want to read the next chunk of this chapter, verses six down to verse 20, from verse 6 down to verse 21. It says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James, the brother of Jesus, spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. 
After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And I want to take a moment to highlight something that might not seem as connected to the rest of the sermon, but I think it's important to highlight because it shows up here in the text. Notice the process of decision-making we see this group of church leaders follow. As they are working through what is happening within the church and how they are to proceed, they focus on both the testimony of Scripture and the experience of the Holy Spirit moving among them as they work towards a consensus. Peter, Barnabas, and Paul all share what they have experienced as they preach the gospel and seen the Holy Spirit work among new believers, which has confirmed to them that those who are not Jewish should be welcomed in as a part of God's people. But this is not just some sort of emotionalism that's only driven by experience or whatever, what everyone in the crowd is feeling in any given moment. It's undergirded by the testimony of Scripture. James, the brother of Jesus, looks back at Amos chapter 9, which he quotes in that passage we just read, which was looking forward to a time when God would send someone to restore the house of David, to sit on David's throne for all eternity, and because of the reign of that new David, all people, Gentiles included, would be welcomed in to be a part of God's people. And after looking at that text, and looking at what is happening around them through the Holy Spirit, this group reaches the conclusion that God is at work to welcome in all people, regardless of where they've come from, and therefore the church should not put up barriers where God is breaking them down. And I take the time to say all of that for two reasons. First, this is how the church should operate when trying to work through difficult decisions. The same Holy Spirit, the same scriptures that are guiding the church in Acts 15 are available to the church today. We don't make decisions like the world does. We don't make decisions through political squabbles and just trying to get to 51% so that we can do whatever we want. We are God's people, guided by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, any time we are faced with difficult decisions, we should desire to do exactly what we see here, working together to establish consensus that is grounded in Scripture and grounded in the work of the Holy Spirit among us. And the second thing we should notice from this is that this decision is not changing. If this decision was based in party politics, then maybe it could change once the times went along or other people came into office. I mean, sure, Peter and Barnabas and Paul think Gentiles should be a part of the church, but maybe after they're gone, someone else can come and get into office and change that ruling or something like that. That is not the case here. Because this is not the decision of any human leader. This is the decision of God himself. The same God that welcomed in all people here welcomes all people in today. And just as the early church did not want to put up barriers where God was taking them down, so also we today should follow the testimony of Scripture and the guidance of the Spirit to offer grace to all people, regardless of what barriers the world or we might think need to be put up instead. Acceptance into God's people comes through the grace of Jesus. 
it came through the grace of Jesus for someone like Paul, who had been a trained student of Scripture from birth. It came by grace for someone like Peter, who was born and raised in the Jewish faith before Jesus called him into ministry. It came by grace for someone like Cornelius, who knew of God but was not able to draw near to him before Jesus came. It came by grace for someone who has not missed a Sunday of church in their entire life, and it came by grace for someone who made a complete mess of their life in any and every way imaginable before they encountered Jesus. The same gospel proclaimed in the book of Acts is the same gospel we proclaim today. It's the same gospel that is available to all people because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in light of that conclusion, these Leaders write a letter to the churches concerned about this issue, which is the last section of this passage, verses 22 to 35, that I'll read for us. It says, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace, to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Notice what is and is not going on in this passage. This letter is not saying that beliefs don't matter, and all truth is relative, so whatever you guys decide you want to do is fine with us. There is a, a core truth of the gospel that is being protected. There is a call to obedience to the commands of God as a response to what Christ has done. And yet, there's also flexibility. There's a willingness to bend on those non-essentials so that all people can encounter Jesus for themselves without any unnecessary boundaries in the way. God has taken down the barriers, and so the church submits to what God is doing. So to try to land the plane and talk about what this means for us today, I just want to mention, I think, what this passage shows us about the gospel, about God, and about grace, and how all of those things relate to one another. First, like I've already said this morning, the gospel expands our borders. I don't know where each and every one of us would draw the lines on 
when someone is in or out of the kingdom of God. I don't know what's on your checklist for someone who loves Jesus does X, Y, and Z, and if they do A, B, or C, then they're definitely out. I don't know where you draw that line, but I will say that in my experience, God's borders, God's boundaries are always a little wider than mine are. The gospel calls us to expand our boundaries, to look at the world around us through the lens that God has, through the heart that God has, and offer that word of life through the message of Jesus that is available for all people, even people that we might not think are willing, are willing or able to accept it. And that's not because there are no rules and nothing matters and truth doesn't, isn't really all that important. It is because, secondly, that our God is more loving than we are. God is love. God loves you. God loves all those around us. Jesus died for you. He died for someone that you could not imagine ever coming to, to know God in any way at all. Our God is always more loving than we are. And lastly, in light of those two things, even though I've already said it in this series, I think it bears repeating, grace is for everyone. This passage demonstrates for us the length that God has gone so that all people could be brought into his people. And we see the church working out what that means for them here in Acts 15. And he has given us the same call. He has called us to go out into the world with the same perspective that we find in this passage because that is the heart of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel and the hope that we have because of it. We thank you that Jesus has come and shown us love that we did not deserve, that he died for us, taking the punishment that was ours, went into the tomb and came out again, raised into new life so that we might have the same freedom and hope. God, we are grateful that that is the message you've revealed to us, and that is the message for the entire world. And Father, we confess that we are not, as all, not always as devoted to that message as we should be. We do not always internalize that message to the depth that we should. So forgive us when we put up boundaries when, that you have not put up. Help us to have the, perspective on, the same perspective on the world that you have. Help us to offer love and hope to a world that so desperately needs it, to a world that is hurting. Help us to have eyes that are looking at the world through the lens of the gospel and help us to adjust our expectations, our, our borders appropriately. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.